Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with her faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the, among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, and went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome you once again to Resurrection Sunday. But you know what precedes Resurrection Sunday? In the tradition of the church, it's called the season of Lent. And it's four, 40 days preceding Resurrection Sunday. And in those 40 days, we reflect on what Christ did for us. Sacrifice he made on our behalf. The last week before Resurrection Sunday is frequently called Holy Week. And we mark it with the beginning of Holy Week last Sunday, Palm Sunday. As a matter of fact, what we've done is we've taken three pictures in the life of Jesus Christ and celebrated them in one week. The first picture is the king on a donkey coming into Jerusalem. The second picture on Good Friday is the king on a cross. And the third picture on Easter Sunday is the risen king of glory. We reflect on those things for a reason. We don't rush to Resurrection Sunday. We don't avoid the hard truth concerning sin. We don't avoid the gory scene of the cross because all of it tells a story of grace and it culminates on this day. First, the king on a donkey. You remember last week, Pastor John spoke about it. The people gave a claim to Jesus Christ as he entered from the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us, save now. That's what it meant. But as we routinely say, they didn't understand. They thought the salvation was going to come by the way of a sword. They thought salvation was going to come by overthrowing the Roman Empire, which was their oppressor. But of course, Jesus had a different story. He came as the King of Peace. Yes, they misunderstood. But so do we. Oh, we get it in part, don't we? We understand what lordship means to a certain extent, but not completely. And our history is littered with people who thought they had it right, and they too got it wrong. I'm talking about the history of our ancestors, 
the church. I'm talking about people who in the name of Jesus Christ as King and Lord of Lords, those people conquering nations with blood in His name. Those people, the church, converting people at the point of the sword. Be baptized and confess Jesus or die. Those people. Not so long ago. Those people beating their slaves on Monday. Selling them in the marketplace as chattel on Friday. And going to church on Sunday. And rejoicing that Jesus was king. Those are our people, my friends. At some level, they are us. That's why Lent is so important. That's why we reflect on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in this Holy Week. We remember that all of us are desperately in need of the overwhelming grace of God. That's what we remember when we forget who He is, the one who appeared as a king on a donkey. You know, the most spectacular thing about Palm Sunday was not Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives and turning into the city. The most spectacular, amazing thing was when his path turned to the cross. So the king on a donkey becomes the king on a cross. You see, our Lord understood something that we did not understand. Our Lord understood that sin and death were the real problem. It wasn't oppressors from without. It wasn't people who oppressed us individually. It wasn't not getting our way. The problem was us. The problem was sin, which leads to death. Sin and death are inseparable in the story of creation and life itself and in the story of the resurrection. Jesus comes into the earth and he understands that and his mission is to defeat sin and death. And he realizes by the design of God that the only way that sin and death can be defeated is for the Holy One of God in the person of Jesus Christ to stand in our place and take sin and death upon himself. Not because he knew any sin. Quite the opposite. He knew none. And in his death on that cross, the king of glory puts a nail through the heart of death and imparts to all who believe eternal life. There's a way in which on that cross, Jesus assumed all the wickedness of all the ages. He took it unto himself. Sometimes, Pieces of literature and movies do a great job of emphasizing this theme. I'm not sure how many of them intend to emphasize the theme, but I think of a novel written by Stephen King that I think emphasizes the theme. It later became a movie called The Green Mile. You may remember The Green Mile. The main character in The Green Mile was not the warden. It was a man called John Coffey. Oh, did you catch his initials? J.C. John Coffey, you may remember, had the power to heal people. A big, huge man 
who towered over everyone and no doubt could have crushed any of his adversaries. And John Coffey, even towards his adversaries, would extend his hand. And when he extended his hand, he would literally take, he would take the sickness into himself and he would breathe out this vast thing called sickness and sin and death. Sometimes it would come out of his mouth like flies. John Coffey had done nothing wrong, but he'd been convicted of killing two little girls. And he walks to the electric chair and becomes a sacrificial, you might say, servant of everybody who was around him. My friends, there's some sense Some sense in when Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, and he reached out and touched and healed, and when he went to the cross especially, he basically took in all the sin. He reached out his hand to all of you. He placed his hand on your head, and he said, my child, I'll take it for you, and I'll die right here. And then I'll be resurrected. You know, that's a wonderful story. But if we stop there, we really short-circuited the power of the cross and the resurrection. Because on Resurrection Sunday, when Christ was raised from the dead, he was not raised just for you and me, for our individual forgiveness. When Christ was raised from the dead, he pronounced death dead. He pronounced the fact that he, because of his resurrection, was going to bring everything back to life. He was going to restore this sin nature that is the earth itself. He was going to take chaos and make order out of it. He was going to take love and overturn it. And put it into everyone's heart who function in hate. Jesus Christ on the cross pronounced his glory and his lordship over all things. And in the resurrection he said, everything someday is going to be made new. By the way, our world's pretty bad, isn't it? You look around you, you see hate, you see violence. You see war, you see children who are dying innocently, and you say, oh my, I just, I just don't have the heart to rejoice. My friends, let me appeal to you. In spite of the dark reality of our world, do not let that world rob you of your joy. If you do, you allow that chaos to rule. You give evil and wickedness the right to say it's one. That's why we return Good Friday and introspectively look at the nature of sin. That's why we return on Easter Sunday and celebrate in spite of the chaos all around us because we know that that cross with that Jesus is going to raise everything and make it new one day. That's the king of glory who came out of the tomb. You know, uh, the reason that the world's such a mess, the reason that sometimes you and I are such a mess, 
is very simple. It's when we walk away from God. When we leave God behind, the world gets worse, and so do we. I, I got a picture for you. Um, should come up on the screen. Um, actually, that's a picture of me and my father. <laughs> um, you know, you got to remind yourself every once in a while when you get old and ugly like me that once you were a cute kid, yeah. So that's the proof I once was. Um, my father and I uh, were inseparable when, when I was young. Uh, Dad was a, a, a gentle giant of a man. He loved me deeply. I mean, you can see we're, we're cheek to cheek. Uh, he was very busy too. But anytime he had the ability to be with me, he was with me. I've got other pictures like that. When I was a little bit older, there's one on our hallway wall that my mother gave me, and it's a picture of my father standing tall with a shovel, and his foot is on the shovel. He's about to dig up some dirt, and I got a shovel, which I believe to be twice the size of me, and I'm standing beside him doing the same thing. Always wanted to be with him, and it seemed like he always wanted to be with me. But one day, we got separated. I mean, really separated. It was back in the 1960s, early 1960s. I checked with my mother just a week to ask her how old I was when it happened, and she said, almost three. Back then, there were no shopping malls. Uh, when you went downtown to a city, you went to a department store, one, then another, all down this street. It might have been Worth Avenue in West Palm Beach, for all I know, but that's where we were, West Palm Beach. We got into a story. It was a beautiful story. It was two stories. But it wasn't your typical two-story building like you think of today. Only half of it was the second floor. There was a mezzanine level, and there was a railing up at the top, and there was a long stairway that wound up to the top. So we went into this department store. And with my parents, I went up that stairway, and I got up to the top, and not having been raised in a two-story house, and being in the flatlands of South Florida, I didn't often get the perspective of looking down. But as I stood at the railing, I looked down, peered down through the railing and saw people walking beneath me. And I was just fascinated by it. And my dad said to me, Bobby, it's time for Mommy and I to go over here. We're going to look at, I believe it was some towels. And I said, no, I want to watch the people. And dad said to me, okay, son, you just stay right here, Okay. Me and mommy are going to be right over there, and he pointed to the place we were going to be. Well, I watched the people as long as a three-year-old could hold his attention on the people, and then I decided I would look for my parents. And I turned around and looked to where they were supposed to be, and they weren't there. Well, apparently, according to my parents, they had just stooped down to look some things on the lower shelf. But I thought they were gone. And so I turned at roughly three years old and descended that winding staircase to the bottom. I walked out onto the busy street and I took the busy street to an intersection and went to the parking lot where our car was. Yeah, seriously, it happened. I got to the busy street and I, I know that some of these memories were given to me but some of them were not given because nobody could remember these parts. 
I remember getting to the busy street, and when I came upon it, I thought to myself, I'm a little boy. I'm not supposed to cross the street by myself. This is dangerous. So you know what I did? Well, back then in the early 1960s, most women who went shopping had big dresses. Remember those pleated dresses? They were really pretty. I, I can remember them. So I stepped up behind a woman, and I grabbed a hold of the pleat <laughs> on her dress, seriously, and I walked across the street with her. <laughs> I knew I'd be okay if I stayed right on her. Got across the street, and I let go of the pleat. She never knew I was there. My wife and I were reflecting on that uh, just yesterday, and she said, you know, they must have thought it was your mother. Because surely an adult would say, son, where are you going? I must have been right behind that woman all the way down the stairs out to the parking lot. But when I got across the street, I went directly to the parking lot. And it was a pay parking lot, you know, with a gate and an attendant. And I started wandering up and down in the aisles looking for our car because I knew what it looked like. And I found one that I thought was it. And I looked at it more carefully and I realized it wasn't our car. And I was getting kind of desperate. And I can remember walking and thinking to myself, got to find the car, got to find the car. And after a few minutes, a man appeared. And he said, uh, hello, son, what, what's the problem? And I said, I can't find our car. <laughs> he probably wonder what in the world. I said, my mom and dad left me. And he said to me, no, son, your mom and dad didn't leave you. I don't think they'd do that. He said, why don't you come with me and come back to this uh, booth here. And he put me up on a little stool because I was tiny, and he put me up on this stool. And I sat there right next to him in the pay booth, and he said, you just watch each car that comes by, and you let me know if you're to your parents. And so I sat up there very seriously and watched one car after another. And as it would get closer, I would say, Nope, it's not them. <laughs> he said at one point, what do your parents look like? And I said, my dad's tall with brown hair and my mom's short with blonde hair. He said, okay, we'll find them. And we just kept looking. Somewhere along the way, I don't know how long I was there, but somewhere along the way, I turned around and there he was, my dad. The one that was inseparable to me. He was walking across the parking lot. They, they tell me that at that point, I hadn't shed a tear. I hadn't cried. I was perfectly under control because I was focused on my task. But when I jumped off the stool and started running towards my dad and threw my arms out and he picked me up, I began to sob. And I said to him, Daddy, why did you leave me? <laughs> and he said to me, Bobby, I didn't leave you. I would never leave you. You left me. You know what's wrong with our world? It's left God. You know why hatred and discord and jealousy and envy and war and abuse exist? It's because we walked away from God. You know why chaos is in your life sometimes? Your life's never going to be perfect, but frequently the problem is you've walked away from God. He hasn't left you. 
As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on this earth before he left, he gave his followers a promise which extends to us. And he said, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you, even though I'm going back to my Father. I'm going back to my Father to prepare a place for you. And if I come again, and I will, I'm going to bring you to myself so that where I am, there you can be also. But you know what? He made another promise too. He said, someday I'm going to return. And I'm going to make all of this new. I'm going to make it right because I already did it up there. And I'm going to finish the job. And what are we supposed to do? The same thing I was supposed to do. When my dad said, Bobby, you just stay right here and wait on me. And I'll come back. God says, through the resurrection, my child, stay right where you are. Follow my instructions. Even when you can't see me, I'm there. And I'm going to return and make everything new. I am sometimes absolutely overwhelmed that that's my story that I truly believe it more than I believe anything in the world. And I hope it's your story too. If it's not, it can be. Even today. The one who died on the cross extends his nail scars hands. There's no sword. There's no club. Just a nail scarred hand. And he says, Would you like to come to my kingdom? Come with me. By the way, um, at the end of that story, after my dad showed up, I don't remember anything else. My memory's gone. I don't remember the ride home, which probably included sighing and trembling and my mother crying on the other side. She was like seven months pregnant with the second. I don't remember that. I don't remember a lecture they might have given me about staying put till they got back. I don't remember anything. Why? Because when dad showed up, everything was okay. My friends, he's coming again and everything's going to be okay. Until then, hold on to his hand. The invisible, real hand of Jesus. He'll walk you through life, and he'll allow you to enter his glory. That's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this story. Not only that it's history, which it is, but that it can become a personal, real existential reality for us. That by the power of the cross, we can enter into new life. And we can embrace the resurrection that will be ours. And we can allow our whole life to revolve around the reality that you're going to come again and make everything new. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this day. And we pray that you will bless us as we go.
and live for you. In Christ's name, amen.